You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 4 The Deputy Director. From the Journal of Sarah Arlington, District of Columbia, February 11th, 1883. Looking to gauge Major Butler's attentiveness, Thomas and I asked him to accompany us to the remainder of today's appointments. The first was with livestock and agriculture. I gathered Butler had become somewhat ardent for our steam craft, so I watched his face when the horse-drawn carriage pulled up. The mouth behind the mustache barely moved, but those big eyes of his were reminiscent of a polite child at Christmas, being presented with a brand-new coal scuttle. He caught my glance. I suppose they would be a little ostentatious to take between meetings. At this stage, yes. If Edison achieves what he's setting out to in a few years' time, you'll find them commonplace. Riding on a horse will have become a rare recreational treat. Do not despair, Major. You'll get to ride in one soon enough. I'll hold you to that, ma'am. As we traveled westward past the new fields that would bring this year's wheat, hay, and flax, Butler looked out across the emptiness with a well-disguised melancholy. It's going to look wonderful in July. You just have to picture it right now. It'll be an ocean of gold again, no doubt. We're expanding. Out there in Virginia, we have corn this year. Have to get some more variety in people's diets. I am getting somewhat sick of apples. Do you suppose we could get some vineyards up and running? Get us some grapes? Dicey. If we start growing grapes, people are going to ask for wine. And we're still teetotal for the foreseeable future. I'm afraid so, Major. If we start making wine available, then throwing hops when that inevitably gets requested again, we're looking at a population increasingly distracted from their day-to-day tasks by alcohol. Legalizing it again would be potentially disastrous. But it's out there on the streets anyway. Bathtub moonshine? Hell, bootleg vodka can be made with potatoes in a jar of water and grain. We know. Well, doesn't that tell you that if the demand is there, it will be met? If not by you, then by unscrupulous types. People want to get good and drunk, especially in a world with so many troubles. Maybe some of the younger ones don't remember it, but everybody over 30 sure does have an opinion. Which gives us a choice. Either cater to that need, or seek out and cut off the suppliers. That's why it's legal to own alcohol, but not to make it. And distribution? I can still invite you into my house and offer you a drink. In fact, I think after this we're going to have to. But that's where we intend to keep the line. And you certainly can't exchange credit for it. I'm with you on this, Major. But in my deputy director role, I can only advise my husband strongly to reconsider his position. As far as I'm concerned, if we give people a good, high-quality source of wine, beer, and whiskey at a cost that won't dig into their workers' credit, I trust that they will have the self-control to drink like adults. And how should we deal with the people who do not? I'm still working on that. He wants to have them pilloried, like some Chaucerian gutter snipe. I say that level of social embarrassment, especially when inebriated, will only cause more harm. It's not the same as wearing the thieves' board and walking the streets. The level of shame they feel directly relates to trust. The way things are run now, there should be no need to steal if you're part of the war effort. So trust becomes a resource they would work all the harder to win back, 
It's been successful in case after case. Why not introduce a license to drink? If you're judged to be drunk and disorderly, say, five times in a year, you have your license revoked. An establishment churns out too many clients with lost licenses, they lose their license to serve alcohol. Thomas? I'll think about it. He's teetotal by choice. She's frequently infuriatingly astute by choice. (laughs) I'm sorry, Major. You found yourself in the center of the 19th time we've had a heated debate over this issue. He actually likes talking to smart people who challenge him. I like when people bring their A-game. There's nothing worse than somebody who counters an exceptionally well-honed argument with an illogical, non-researched, and humorless statement of opinion. Well, there's plenty worse than that, but it's frustrating as all hell and stands in the way of cultural progression time after time. I will say this in closing. When a person looks to a dealer, a bootlegger, or a pimp to relieve their daily pressures, rather than to their community that we are charged with cultivating, then we've already failed them. And if we consider them as individuals unimportant of our worry, we have failed ourselves. I love you. With good cause. But I still hate the sight of a drunken man. What did I tell you about hate? Many things. One of the greatest, self-sustaining, swiftly replicating forces in the universe. Same as love. I've had my share of hate. Had my fill of it. When we arrived at the farmer's summit, we were greeted with a group of fairly agitated families and several military figures from the Manassas garrisons and placed to protect the fields and livestock. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Now I understand last night was a shock and you may not have gotten much sleep as a result, so I need you all to remain as calm and reasoned as possible and focus on detail for the next few minutes. That will help us. Now, first of all, in this raid, how many animals were lost? About 40 cattle. We were told not to raise the alarm or they'd shoot every one of us. Thank you, Mr. Callahan. You did the right thing. Cattle can be replaced more easily than you. Did you get a look at any of them? No, sir. They had masks on. What kind of masks? Like like sacks? No, scarves. White scarves like the RSA soldiers. And wide-brimmed hats. We only saw their eyes. And they was dressed in rebel gray. What happened when the reunified state soldiers got here? The rustlers had almost gone. Some of them got shot, but their friends carried them off. We have no bodies for you to inspect aside from those on our side. How many did we lose? Five. One more has been unconscious since then. He's probably not going to last the day. Any more distinguishing behavior we can go on? Did you catch an accent from an identifiable region? Actually, one of them did have a thick accent. Feller from New York? Maybe Boston? Thomas and I exchanged glances. Again, thank you, Mr. Callahan. He waved over the lead cartographer scout, a young fellow with a somewhat excitable air, but manifestly possessing the experience to keep that in check. I know you, don't I? We've met. Lawton Sadler, sir. I had a piece printed in the handbook. I recall now. The story of the Cree scout. Ask it, yes. Glad to see you're still within our ranks. My experiences have made me a little 
warier, sir. Your tale saved a few lives in the telling, I'll wager. I understand you found something in the Shenandoah Valley. I did, sir. It was caught and crushed between rocks. Withered and dried, but I think this was grown in abundance in the field I was standing. I found many more dried stems, seed pods, and petals on the ground. I suspect it would have just been these as far as the eye could see. He held out a crumpled red flower and placed it in Thomas's hand. The director inspected it closely. You're quite sure they weren't growing wild? Positive. I was already looking around to see if there might be fences or some other sign that they were being actively grown. Saw a lot of old hoof prints in the mud. They went back and forth up the track to the main road. Someone had been inspecting that field fairly frequently. You're a botanist? I studied up on plants, so as I would know what was safe to eat and what might be useful for medicine out in the wild. Guess I went a little extensive, just in case. Papaver somniferum. Not a plant native to our shores. This is usually found in the Far East. I take it from your informing me that you gather the gravity of this particular flower being deliberately grown in abundance. Sir, if it's the right kind of poppy, then I'd say we're looking at an abundant crop of opium. Oh, you were right to bring this one to our attention, Lieutenant Sadler. We need to wait for their return to see whose business this is. I'm going to ask you and two more to get on this case and take up position around the valley for the next few months as the spring approaches to keep watch at all times. When somebody appears, you must not be seen by them. Trail them only from a great distance, but find out who they are. I want as much information as we can get. Then, while we bring them in and begin working our way up their chain to disclose the ones at the top, I say we continue with their plan and plant their poppy seeds in the valley. Those flowers can be made into military-grade morphine, and that's something we do need. My guess on the cattle is that they're being kept close to D.C., so that the black market can be supplied with cheap meat, milk, and leather. Alternatively, they're being held at some point between us and one of the more sizable settlements, one that can offer the people who took these cows an even greater price than citizens of Washington. Whichever it is, they're not far away. And we're going to find them. Lieutenant, I'll speak with you privately in a moment. In the meantime, Scouts? Yes, yes, sir! You are our lines to these people. In taking cattle from us, they are weakening, if even slightly, the war effort. In growing opium, they are facilitating Americans in forgetting their way and losing themselves. And we cannot have that. No, no sir! I want ears to the ground. I want sharp eyes on the lookout for those on the road who should not be. You need to see the reunified states as a body, and its organs are here in the countryside. Those must be protected, or else the rest will die. We are that body's defense system. They are the infection. Be certain that back in the city we will be scouring the shadows for where they operate within our midst. That opium they harvested began turning up this winter, and now it seems we know its origin point. When apprehended, these men and women will be treated with the gravest of seriousness. The rebel grey worn by the ones who attacked you last night is a statement of defiance. We must show them what happens when that defiance is met with retribution. Yes, yes sir!
Thomas was burying himself in note-taking as her carriage proceeded southeastward, back towards the capital. I have a question of a somewhat personal nature that one of you might be able to shed some light on. Pass. It's something I'd like to know which might inform upon my understanding of my new employers. Go ahead, Major. Well, just over yonder there, you'll see we're passing by Arlington Cemetery. To my understanding, that was instituted during the Civil War on the doorstep of Robert E. Lee's house of the same name. Although the site had aesthetic value and was set upon high ground, one of the common modes of thought is that it was put there after Washington's graveyards became overfull of dead Union soldiers to make a point. My question is this. Does the house, or the ground, or what it symbolizes hold some special significance to you? What do you think? I would never presume to second-guess your mind. But what do you think? I do not know your background, sir. There's nothing in the handbook about it. All that is known and trusted within the cartographer ranks is that you fought in the war and ascended to office in 77. Now your accent would suggest being raised in the South, so I can only surmise that you are likely a former slave, and that would mean Arlington was very unlikely the name you were given at birth. Am I correct, sir? Right on both counts. Go on. I feel I am offending or upsetting you. Consider my curiosity sated. I was returning from war. It was 65. I wished to marry a lady I'd met out there. But I would not bestow upon her the name of my master. I'd still adorn my own like a cancerous vestigial limb. So I thought long and hard about whom I would like to be. I thought back to a time of indecision before I signed up for the military and chose a name that symbolized the great tragic loss of life. One that the Union would never let General Lee or the shattered Confederacy forget. That myself, Sarah, and all those held in bondage are free today stands as testament to what was bought with their sacrifice. Of course, it would be years before I attained a position of supreme authority, but it is fitting that I be reminded on a daily basis of the terrible cost of both action and inaction. Major Butler and I gazed out of the carriage windows at the line upon line of white gravestones as we passed by. Too many newly buried to congratulate ourselves on a war we are winning. It is our duty to see that over the coming years this quiet place of rest will not overflow down the hillsides of Washington ever outwards into a silent land. Until the last men and women left alive are bone collectors. Every single choice I make holds lives in the balance. And not just dozens, potentially thousands. And you would have thought that after years in my position, I would have gotten used to it by now. But as you can see, these are grave decisions indeed. I looked at Thomas as he said this. With that now long familiar mixture of admiration for a leader, respect for a colleague, and worry for my husband.
You have been listening to episode four of Arlington Remastered, the Deputy Director. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Thomas W. Arlington, performed by Alex Shaw. Sarah Arlington, performed by Maureen Foley. Major Frank Butler and Lawton Sadler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Callahan, performed by Dan Mayer. Cartographers, performed by Ian Hopwood, Victoria Lunaby Grieve, Jesse Ferguson, and Doreen Sobioch. With the Sea, Prospector Theme, and Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Trey Contreras, and Tom Painter. And if you enjoyed Uncivil Outlaw, be sure to leave either an iTunes review or an Amazon review. Every single one of those helps us get to more eyes and ears. 